0: in Matthew chapter 6 today. The passage will be on the screen, or if you prefer to follow along during the sermon, if you have a Bible or a phone, Matthew chapter 6. And we're beginning today in verse 25. Let me read now from God's Word. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And Why do you worry about clothes? and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's God's word. Let's pray. God, with this incredibly important passage open in front of us, we ask now that you'd open our hearts, that we would be able to not only understand what's here, but to see and to experience Jesus in a more deep way. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now, if you've been with us for the past few months here at Reality Church London, you'll know we've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And this is Jesus' teaching about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus in London today. And what I love about today's passage is Jesus is saying, you can't talk about discipleship without also talking about worry. Jesus recognized that everyone worries about all kinds of things. You know, over the past few weeks, I've been preparing to teach and to preach about worry. And so I've been reading and I've been listening to articles and podcasts and trying to make sure I know as much about this topic as I can. And as I'm preparing my sermon, I'm thinking to myself, have I read everything that I need to read? Did I miss something? Is the sermon gonna be too dense? I'm worrying about preaching a sermon on worrying. And the fact is for all of us, this is not an abstract topic. For some of you, as you've gathered together with us, either in person or on Zoom, this morning you are weighed down by worry. You are riddled with anxiety. This is not an abstract topic. And the first thing that I need you to see before we get to work looking at the passage is that just the presence of these verses in the Bible is incredibly good news. Because Jesus is saying, I know that you're a worrying people. And actually, remember, this passage is addressed to disciples. This passage is addressed to people who have spiritual backgrounds, who identify as followers of Jesus. And he says, I know even you too are going to be filled with worry. And what I love is as we hear these words from Jesus today, as they meet us this morning in the midst of our worry, in the midst of our anxiety, what we find is Jesus being incredibly gracious and tender. The fact is, and I've got to confess this to you, The biggest challenge that I find in preparing to preach a sermon like this is can I match the tone of Jesus? Because he's so tender and so gracious and so compassionate for those who are weighed down by worry. And so, if that's you this morning, or if that might be you in the future, there's no better place to be than the presence of Matthew 6 to hear these words of Jesus about worry and what it means for us. So, Let's take a look at this passage under the following three headings. The first thing I want to show you is what worry is. What is it? Where does it come from? The second thing we'll see is what are the remedies that Jesus offers for our worry? And then last, we'll see the great physician, the one that we ultimately need. So what is worry? What are the remedies that Jesus offers and the great physician that we all need? So first, what is worry? Now, it's important to begin actually by saying what worry is not. Worry is not thinking about your future, having concerns about things, making plans. Actually, all of those things in the Bible are commended. They're really important. The Bible talks about preparing for the future, planning well, having concern and passion for things. Absolutely worry, according to Jesus, is actually something different. And we get a clue if you were to read this passage in Greek, that's the language it was originally written in, the word that Jesus uses for worry is actually a compound of two words that literally means over-concern. We might say hyper-concern. What Jesus seems to be saying is worry, the thing that he's talking about, is what happens when your healthy concerns grow in an unhealthy way, when they grow out of proportion. And so I think that actually we're better helped not by using the word worry, but using another word that's pretty common in our vocabulary, anxiety. That's what Jesus is talking about here. To not worry, Jesus is saying, is to not be anxious or to not be filled with anxiety. That's a word that we can relate to. That's a word that's very commonly used in our vocabulary in a city like ours. We are, in some ways, the age of anxiety. And what is anxiety? What is worry? It is concern or care about something to such a degree or to such an extent that it limits your ability to be present and to be in the moment. It's care that has consumed you. It's concern that has robbed you of the ability to be present to be in the moment. We actually have a great example of this. Luke chapter 10. Some of you know the story, but Jesus has gone over to the home of his friends, Mary and Martha. They're having a dinner party. And while there, Jesus is in the lounge teaching and talking with his friends. And Martha is the one who's in the kitchen and she's serving. She's busily making preparations for the evening. And the text says that Martha was distracted. She was distracted. So as Jesus is there in the lounge talking with Mary and the others, Martha runs out and she says, Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister to help me. I'm doing all of this by myself. And Jesus looks at Martha and listen to what he says. Martha, Martha, you are worried, same Greek word, and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Now, what's Jesus saying? Is it bad to be a good host? Is it bad to want to have people over and to prepare a great meal and make sure that everyone's comfortable? Absolutely not. Hospitality is a gift in the Bible. What's Jesus saying? For Martha, her concern about being a good host grew into overconcern. It became a source of anxiety in which she wasn't actually able to enjoy the moment, to enjoy just being with Jesus. She was distracted and filled with with a kind of anxious presence that kept her from being able to not only enjoy Jesus, but enjoy others. That's a good illustration of what Jesus is saying. It's a kind of care and concern that has grown to such an extent that it limits your ability to be present and in the moment. Worry, then, is living in this world like everything depends on you. That's what anxiety is. It's living in this world as though everything depends on you. Now, as we'll see here in this passage, but also pulling ideas from the rest of the Bible, there are many reasons why people worry. There are many reasons why we have anxiety. And I want to be clear, there are biological or you might say physiological reasons for worry. There are temperamental ones. There are relational reasons why some of you worry. Those reasons, by the way, are all important and you need to pay attention to them. And I wanna be clear for some of you here today, part of the reason for your worry or your anxiety may be medical. And you may need not just friendship and community, but care from medical professionals. But what Jesus is saying here about worry is not to dismiss those other really important factors But it is to say that at the bottom, there's always also a spiritual root for worry. And that's what Jesus is going to address. So I'm not dismissing those other important factors, but I am saying Jesus is calling our attention. That at bottom, there's always a spiritual component or a spiritual root for the worry that we experience, for the anxiety that's present in our lives. And he gives us two spiritual roots, and I want to unpack them with you for just a minute. The first spiritual root of worry, living in this world like everything depends on you, is idolatry, idolatry. Now we were last week talking about treasure. Do you remember Matthew 6, 19? If you were here, Jesus asked the question, where is your treasure? We define treasure as the thing that's most important to you, the thing that animates your life, and we said last week to put our treasure in heaven because Treasure on earth, that is treasure in anything of this world, can ultimately be lost or taken away. Now, these two passages, last week and today, they actually belong together. Because you will always worry most about what you love the most. You'll always worry about your treasure. And Jesus is saying if you treasure things that you can lose, then of course you're going to be worried because you're gonna be constantly anxious to keep them and to protect them and to make sure everything is going just the way that you hope. So we said last week, and we'll say again today, if your treasure, if the thing that matters to you more than anything else is doing great in your job or having a great career, being totally successful, if for you, the measure of your worth is the quality of your work, then you're gonna be a constantly anxious person. And you're always going to be saying, have I done enough? Am I getting the recognition at work that I deserve? What if I lose my job? Now, is losing your job hard and terrible? Absolutely. But if the thought of losing your job doesn't just disappoint you, but if it makes you despondent, if it fills you with absolute dread, that might be a clue that not only is it your treasure, but there's a kind of idolatry which is serving as the source or the root of your worry. And so Jesus is saying, Look at what you're worrying about. That connects to our loves. It reveals what we treasure. So, at the root, idolatry is always in some way connected to our worry. Second spiritual root of worry, though, not just idolatry, but unbelief. Unbelief. Now, let me be clear here. Remember, Jesus is talking to people who identify as disciples, they go to church, they know the Bible verses. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know you say you believe in God. But in your moments of worry, you're revealing that something else more than the presence of God is more real and captivating to you. So let me be as gentle as I can here. But Jesus is trying to help us see that if you worry, if you're filled with anxiety, it's because at some level, the knowledge of God isn't as real to you as something else in your life. And what happens is actually a kind of functional atheism, where you live in this world as though God isn't actually out there. You're living in this world like everything depends on you. Rebecca Pippert has a great line in one of her books where she says it this way, the lie of all lies at the heart of our problem is that we keep acting like God when we're only human. We pretend to be infinite and eternal but actually, we are pathetically bound by time and space. We're not God. One of the roots for our worry is unbelief. Oh, you might say God is out there, but in that moment, something has become more real and more captivating to you. Idolatry and unbelief, living in this world as though everything depends on you. That, Jesus says, is what worry is and where it comes from. But what I love about this passage is Jesus doesn't just diagnose and tell us what worry is and where it comes from and then say, okay, now good luck. But he offers remedies. He offers a way that our worry and our anxiety might be healed and comforted and relieved. So let's now look at the remedies. And this is actually what the bulk of our passage is about. And let me say up front, what I love about what Jesus does in these verses is he doesn't give us something to do. He gives us something to rest in. That's such a difference. If you're worried and you say, I'm so worried today, and I said, great, here's 15 things to do, you'd be going, and you'd be filled with more anxiety. Jesus knows that. And so as Jesus brings remedies to us in the midst of our worry, what he's inviting us is to stop doing and to start trusting, to start resting in promises and The promises that he gives, I just want to show you in a minute, this is high theology. This is not sort of cheap surface level self-help stuff. Jesus is trying to push our faces into rich theology that you can drive the anchor of your soul down into and find something that's a refuge for you in the hardest moments of life. Jesus is bringing us to some big theology and saying, this is what you can rest in. So let me show you the two things, the two doctrines or truths that are the remedies for worry according to Jesus. The first is providence. Providence. God is God. You are not God. Now, how do I define providence? Well, uh, by definition, providence simply means seeing God's hidden hand at work in the ordinary affairs of your life. The hidden hand of God at work in the ordinary affairs of your life But if you look at the passage there in verse 26, here's what you have. Jesus, by the way, is teaching this sermon on a mountaintop. He's overlooking the Sea of Galilee there in northern Israel. And he's giving this teaching, and he says, don't worry. Don't worry. And then in verse 26, he says, look at the birds. I almost imagine Jesus is teaching, and he sees a bird fly by, and he says, oh, yeah, great illustration. Look at the bird. And Jesus goes on to say in our passage, those birds... They don't have barns where they accumulate food for the future. They don't plan and, and fret and let your heavenly father feeds them. They have food enough. And then he'll go on in a few moments to talk about flowers. And he'll say, look, you are worried about clothes. And in that day, clothes were maybe a bigger deal in terms of safety and protection than they were for many of us today, although not for all people. And Jesus says, you're worried about your clothes, but look at the flowers again, probably there on the mountainside. And Jesus says, kings and all their splendor weren't as beautiful as the flowers that you're standing on. And they don't toil and spin and fret. And yet God clothes them. What's Jesus doing? He's saying, open your eyes and look at the world. I take care, Jesus says, of everything. There's never a moment, there's never even a millisecond where my gracious rule isn't overseeing and caring for everything that I've made. Even the birds, even the flowers. And then Jesus says, in a kind of argument from the lesser to the greater, are you not much more valuable than they are? And that's not a rhetorical question. Jesus is encouraging you to do some logic. If God takes care of birds, Don't you think he will take care of you? Because a bird is a bird. But you're a human. You were made in the image of God. Do you know that when God made everything, this is back in Genesis chapter 1, when God makes everything, he makes mountains and he makes birds and he makes whales and he makes oceans and palm trees and he looks out over everything and he says, yeah, that's good. And then he makes human beings. And he looks at creation now with human beings in it. And he says, now, this is very good. You see, you're the thing that God, when he looked down, said, this is very good. And Jesus is saying to do the logic. If God takes care of the birds, he's definitely going to take care of you. The passage, Jesus is saying, open your eyes, awaken to the fact that God is working. He's on his throne The world is spinning because he makes it spin. And the birds have food and the flowers have beauty because God gives it to them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? This is the doctrine of providence. How does this work practically? Years ago, this is 16th century, there was a man named Martin Luther. He was a Christian, a leader, a theologian. And he had a good friend named Philip Melanchthon. And Philip, they were both important church leaders But Philip was a very timid person. He was very anxious. He was very nervous all the time, kind of had an anxious state. And so one morning as Philip the day before had received really bad news, he came downstairs and he was filled with anxiety, filled with fear, totally worried. And Luther looked to him and simply said, let Philip cease to rule the world. Let Philip cease to rule the world. What Luther was saying was, you're trying to run the world, but that's a job that's way too big for you. You can't do it. God is on his throne. Providence is real. Let Philip cease to rule the world. Maybe part of the reason today why we're such uh, anxious and, and nervous people is because we're trying to do God's job. We're trying to do a job that's way too big for us. Luther says, let Philip cease." to rule the world. So providence, sink your teeth into that, Jesus says. But not only providence, the second doctrine, the second theology that Jesus gives us as a remedy for our worry is adoption. Adoption. Twice in this passage, and I want to call your attention to verse 32, Jesus talks about your heavenly father. So let me read to you verse 32. The pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly father is knows that you need them. Jesus is saying, in effect, you don't need to worry because your heavenly father is going to take care of you. Now, the heavenly father idea, that's something that we've run into over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about it a few times. So let me just say, first of all, when we talk about God as father, especially on a day like today, Father's Day, I acknowledge that for many of you, this is an incredibly hard thing. Because not only do you not have the best relationship with your dad, maybe you never did. Maybe you've wanted to be a father, and this has been something that hasn't been possible. For all of us, this is a complicated topic related to our human fathers. But what we need to recognize is in our hearts, I think there's a longing for a father to be a figure of stability, of love, of presence. And the reason we long for that is because God is the heavenly Father who is all of those things for his people. You see, God is the ultimate Father to which every imperfect Father ultimately points in a way that he outshines all of them. And Jesus is saying, You don't need to worry because you have a heavenly Father. This heavenly father, you have access to him. You have closeness to him. That's a sermon from a few weeks ago. I'm not going to re-preach it. He's also infinitely great and totally good. That's what he means. He's in heaven. He's your heavenly father. And Jesus is getting to the very heart of the Christian message. To be a Christian is not to look at God as a boss or a teacher. It's to be brought into a relationship with God in which he becomes father. Relationship, intimacy, closeness. And Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your doctrine of adoption. And I want you to take your doctrine of providence. And I want you to put it together. And when you sink your truth, your teeth into that truth, you'll find your worries start to be healed. Because the God who is on his throne and ruling everything, providence, is your father who loves you and longs for your good more than you can imagine. Adoption. And Jesus says, that's the ultimate remedy for your worry. God is on his throne and he is your father. That leads to rest, rest in those truths, trust in those promises. But here, if I ended the sermon at this moment, you'd say, eh, that's hard. It's hard to rest. Life is hard. Do you see there in verse 34, Jesus says, tomorrow's going to have enough trouble for itself. Jesus is saying, don't worry, but yeah, I tell you, you're going to have a hard life. Trouble's coming. It's hard to rest. Life is hard. So it's one thing for Jesus to offer us these remedies, providence and adoption, as needed as they are, but we need something else. We need a great physician. Because resting and trusting is a battle. And especially if you're filled with anxiety, trying to rest is really tough. Is there any other hope that Jesus gives us? And the answer is yes, we have a great physician. We have not just remedies, but we have Jesus himself, the one who's speaking these words. And Jesus would say to you this morning, in the midst of your worry, I don't just want you to believe in certain promises i want you to rest in me it's not just promises but it's a person it's not just what you need to do but it's recognizing that jesus says i am with you and so let me spend just a moment meditating on jesus as our great physician with you in the midst of your worry you can jot down and look up later if you'd like but in matthew chapter 12 there's a great passage of scripture It's describing who Jesus is, and there it says that a bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed is a useless reed, a reed that serves no purpose anymore, and it's an image of a person who's become weak and fragile, a person who's teetering over, about to fall down, and... Jesus as our Savior, Jesus as our healer, when he looks at broken and weak and fragile people, Jesus doesn't break you, but he moves towards you with kindness and with compassion and with great tenderness. A bruised reed he will not break. Do you know what that means? If you find yourself today filled with worry and anxiety, you know, you get a little bit of peace from one anxious thought and then all of a sudden 10 more come rushing in and you say, how am I ever going to deal with this? Okay, Bijan said adoption and providence, great, but how do I focus? I got all these other, and you're filled with anxiety. Jesus says, I'm not gonna break you. I'm patient, I'm gentle, I'm compassionate, and I'm with you. A bruised reed I will not break. How do we know that? Because Jesus had his night of anxiety too. This is an astounding truth that you only find in the Christian faith. Never will you find another great spiritual leader or teacher whose moments of weakness are as important for the faith as ours is in Jesus. But on the night before his death, the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows that literally in a matter of hours, he's going to be betrayed by his friends, he's going to be falsely condemned, and he's going to be hung on a cross, which is not just intense physical agony, but it's completely humiliating and shameful. And most of all, Jesus is going to be separated from God as Father as he bears sin on that cross. Jesus knows all of that is coming. And so when he prays in the garden, he says this, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. And he says to Jesus in prayer, or he says to God the Father in prayer, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I don't want what's about to happen. He's filled with anxiety. He's filled with sorrow. He's filled. He's weighed down worrying about what's about to happen to him. And yet he says, not my will but yours be done. And Jesus goes to the cross and he experiences in that moment this ultimate anxiety, this ultimate burden of being separated from God, his father. Why? Because he was dying as a substitute. Because he was dying in your place. Do you know what this means? This morning, if you're weighed down by worry, Jesus doesn't say, clean that up and then come to me. He says, whatever you have, your fears, your worries, anxieties, bring that to me because I know what it's like and I died for it. Bring your anxiety, bring your fear, bring your worry to me. That's what Jesus means when he says, seek first the kingdom. Verse 33, how do you seek a kingdom? Well, you seek its king. Jesus is the king, the great physician, the healer of our soul, the one who says, in your anxiety, come to me and I will be with you. And as you come to Jesus, as you see him, that's when the remedies start to be used. That's when you're able to start sinking your teeth into adoption, into providence, because you see that Jesus is your great physician who's with you in the midst of your trials. I want to close this way. Richard Sibbs has an old book on the bruised reed. And in that book, he says this Jesus is a physician who is good at all diseases, but especially the binding up of broken hearts. As a mother is tenderest to the most diseased and the weakest child, so does Christ mercifully incline to the weakest. He died that he might heal our souls with a plaster of his own blood, and by that death, save ours. The Lord Jesus is a physician good at all diseases, Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Our God, thank you for meeting us this morning in Matthew chapter 6. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are a worrying people. We thank you for remedies, but we thank you most for the great physician, the Lord Jesus, who's with us even this day. Lord, many of us right now are weighed down by worry, and so we lift our hands in surrender and say, Give us more of Jesus. We don't even know what to do. We don't even know where to start. But give us more of Jesus. Help us to encounter him, our great physician, as we respond now in song. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus is patient and gracious and longs to have whatever you can give him, whatever you want to bring him. So bring him your full self today with all the worry and the anxiety that's there. This is a time of response. And so as the songs are being sung, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, but bring yourself to Jesus now as we respond.